Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. day ever best day ever best day ever that is um that's one of evelyn's favorite things to declare evelyn is 10 she's my granddaughter uh, good morning i'm carmen laburge listening to mornings with carmen here on the faith radio network best day ever one of evelyn's favorite things to declare yeah it doesn't really matter if um you know she's riding in the truck with grandpa to the uh, to the place where, you know, you buy bushes, you know, doesn't, doesn't matter. Best day ever. Um, or if she is, um, just going, we're just going for a walk down the street. She'll be like, she'll put her little hand in your hand and she'll be like, best day ever. Um, and when Evelyn declares it's the best day ever, you believe it. Now, granted, she has also said best day ever, at Disney World, or the first time that she walked onto the sand at the ocean, those two were the best day ever, according to Evelyn. When was the last time you thought to yourself and declared to the world, best day ever? This is the best day ever. Last week, yesterday, today? Today is the best day ever. I want you to think about that for just a moment. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the best day ever. For some people around the world, today will be the day of salvation. Best day ever. Yesterday's gone. We're not promised tomorrow. So today, this is what we've got. Best day ever. Best day ever to praise the Lord. Best day ever to glorify his name. Best day ever to raise your concerns to the throne of his grace and glory. Best day ever to sing praises to the Lord. Today's the best day ever to sit in silence and solitude with God. Today's the best day ever to walk with God in the cool of the day. Today is the best day ever to grieve with hope. Today is the best day ever to pray with confidence or to pray in desperation. Today's the best day ever to seek the name of Jesus because, well, Sometimes it's the only thing you can think to say. Today is the best day ever to walk by faith and not by sight. Today is the best day ever to be still and know that God is God. Are you having a really bad day already? (laughs) It's possible that you got up today and you're anticipating a really bad day. Maybe you think that yesterday is the worst day ever. Today couldn't possibly be any worse than that. Nope, today could be the best day ever. How could knowing that God is, and that God is great, and that God is good, transform what you perceive to be the worst day ever into the best day ever? I mean, quite arguably, the worst day ever 
the worst day ever was the day the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, was beaten, stripped, whipped, humiliated, mocked, and crucified. Worst day ever, right? Well, the worst, worst day of all the worst days that have ever been, we call it good. We call it Good Friday. God transformed the worst day into the best day ever. And if he could do it for the worst of the worst of the worst of all days in all of human history, don't you think that God has the power and the love to make today the best day ever in your life, no matter what you're facing? The God of the universe wants to spend the day with you. The God of all time and space wants to bless you and keep you today. The God of every blessing wants to walk with you and talk with you today. The God of all that has been and ever will be wants to sing over you today. God wants to hold you in his everlasting arms today. God wants to call you by name and declare to the world, this one is mine. God wants to fill you today with the fullness of his love and his grace. God wants to use you today as an instrument of his peace. God wants to give you all the spiritual blessings of Christ today. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift my hands. Child of God, my sister, my brother in Christ, do you know the love of God that surpasses knowledge? It's a love that's better than life itself. It's a love that is moment by moment and everlasting. It's a love that begins before the foundations of the earth, and it's a love that never ends. Oh, God, your love is better than life, the psalmist says. My lips will glorify you as long as I live. Today, I invite you to help me see that this is the best day ever, because it is a day, it is a day I get to spend with you. Maybe you need God's help today to lift up your hands in prayer, to lift up your face to the reality that God is and God is good and God is great. Let's lift up our prayers today in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, let's be lifted up today. Because in Jesus Christ, this is the best day ever. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Oh, friend, what a friend we have in Jesus, our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We're going to talk more about what it means for God to be our friend next here on Mornings with Carmen. Who is your best friend? What does it mean to walk with Jesus as your friend? What does it mean for God to be your friend? Like, who does God think his friends are? Dave Buring is my friend. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org or Actually, more uh, more accurately, you can find it on the LionShare Leadership app in Dave's daily downloadable devotionals that are um, there for free. Dave, good morning. Welcome back, my friend. Good morning, my friend. 
What does it mean for God to be my friend? And how, like, how is that possible? How do I get to call God friend? Like, what's up with that? Yeah, you know, one of the favorite verses for me, I I ran into it when I was about 18 or 19 years old, is Exodus 33, and it's verse 11, and it says this, Thus the Lord used to speak face to face with Moses as a man speaks to his friend. And the word friend there means, in, in the Hebrew language, which is the original language we have in the Old Testament, it means associate, lover, and friend. Obviously, speaking of a very close, intimate relationship that God invites us into. And I think, um, you know, it's one of the places I think in our walks with Jesus that we can sometimes shortcut. It's like we know that we're going to heaven. We know that Jesus forgives us, wants to bless us, is with us in difficult times, but we don't press through the veil, so to speak, to get closer to him, to get to know him as friend. And I, and I love how this expresses uh, the communication because, you know, you and I are friends, but part of the reason we're friends is because we communicate. And um, here it's speaking communication, God and man back and forth. And I think that's one of the the pieces that we can practice even today is, are you communicating with God and are you giving opportunity for him to communicate with you? Um, when I was in seminary, one of the classes that I took was on Jonathan Edwards, and one of the um, one of the things that I remember about his teaching is his urging um, believers to let their first love be to enter into an everlasting friendship with Christ that would never be broken. Yeah. This yeah, is a friendship good. that, um, because I do think that people fear God, people want to honor Jesus, but this notion of friendship um, closer to me than than a natural brother might be. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about that? Like, so when somebody, you know, so when a preacher says, hey, let your first love, um, th- your deepest love, your most significant love be an everlasting friendship with Jesus that shall never be broken. Like, what does that mean and how do we do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way that I was taught uh, early on, my definition of love was kind of twofold. One was a biblical image of laying your life down for one another. And the other was kind of a practical way for me that would go against the grain of my feelings and emotions at the moment. And that was that love is choosing someone else's highest good. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at those two expressions and you you kind of focus that on what does that mean to love God? I think there is the laying your life down. I think, you know, there's the, that could be in service, that could just be in faithfulness to him daily. I also think of, you know, the reality of choosing his highest good. And, you know, on on any given day, that might be worship, where the expression of love is worship. On any given day, that might be you laying aside what you want to do to choose his highest good when he's asking you to go serve that person and you're just too pooped or you're just not wanting to, but it's saying, okay, God, I want to choose your highest good. So I think there is, I think there's dynamics in our love relationship with God where there can be the feels. Like for me, I often feel closest to God when I'm in worship. And there there is that sense of nearness and and almost a wooing to get closer. And then there's just those 
practical expressions, which is no different, you know, than it is in my relationship with my wife. There's times that there's the feels, and then there's times that there's just faithfulness. And I think love can look like that in our walk with God. I'm thinking about um, John chapter 15. So Jesus has gathered his disciples um, for what we would remember as the Last Supper. It's the night before his death. Um, He is preparing them for the next day um, and the days ahead. And in the midst of all of that, one of the things that he says um, is, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So that's John 15, 15. Um, It's not just that I perceive myself to have a friend in Jesus. Jesus perceives his followers as his friends. That's That's pretty remarkable. That is remarkable. And I think, you know, the the invitation, I mean, we get that with the disciples. Or if you're watching something like The Chosen and you're seeing this dynamic amongst them where there is the moments of reaching out to the people in front of them, but there's also just the playful moments and the interaction that goes on. I think it's hard for us sometimes, Carmen, because Jesus isn't physically here with us. And so we have a hard time kind of connecting. What does that look like? And, and what does that mean? But there's a um, a spiritual relationship that we can have with him that can be just as genuine as if he was here physically. And a, a lot of that is giving ourselves towards that. You know, you and I talk a lot about these aspects of God's character. And for me, when I get to know an aspect of God's character, even this morning in preparation for the the ones that we're looking at today, there was something I bumped into that reminded me again that I hadn't thought about for a while of that attribute of God. And inside, I just felt like a really good thing going on inside of me. And he wants us to see who he is so that we can have a relationship, so that we can have a trust relationship. And I think practicing things like that grow us closer because we get to see who he really is. We talk about the character of God and we talk about who God is and getting to know him. It does seem a little strange sometimes to consider God my friend. I mean, Mm -hmm. God is great. Um, God is beyond my imagining. I mean, you can stand out under a night sky and just be like, who is this? And you can, and you can consider the gift of the life of a, you know, of a child. And you can just think about God and be like, who is this? Like, who are you? Like, who yeah. are, and, and you certainly surveying the cross. You're just like, I mean, like, who are you? Like, who does this? Who would do yeah. such a thing? Who, um, so when we, when we talk about God as our friend and the character of, um, of Jesus, uh, in particular as our friend, um, I want to maybe juxtapose that against the reality of God's glory. So when we come back, could we talk about the glory of God? Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. We're talking with Dave Buring. Um, the organization is LionShare. On the LionShare leadership app, um, every single day, you can listen and watch to Dave share a brief devotional about um, the names of God, the character of God, who God is. And so if you want to get to know the God who really is and the way that he has revealed himself in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the way that he has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ, and the way he wants to know you. Um, This is a wonderful opportunity to do that. So 
Um, so check it out uh, on the, on lionshare.org. You can connect to the Lionshare Leadership app and from there to um, Dave's Daily Devotional. We're going to talk next about the glory of God. What is glory? Just Just consider that word for a moment. Like, what does that mean when we say the glory of God? And what does it mean for God to reveal his glory? What does it mean for God's glory to grow? All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You are not alone. Do you believe me when I say that? You are not alone. The enemy wants you to believe that you are not only alone, all alone, but to make you feel bad about it. That's loneliness. And it's a lie. Jesus tells us that the enemy tells us lies to rob us of our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our lives. And so if you're experiencing loneliness today, let me say this. You're not alone. The enemy is using the weapon of loneliness against a lot of people right now. But here's the good news. God is present. God is present right now, and he's closer to you than your very next breath. God loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You were created for relationship with him. And that sense of loneliness that you have right now, well, that's an indication that your heart knows it. Loneliness is the spiritual indicator that real love, real companionship, real relationship, real life are all possible. And guess what? Jesus literally came to make that connection with you. Do you want to know more? Text the word LONELY to 877-933-2484. And I'll drop in on you to remind you that God is present and you're not alone. Text LONELY, L-O-N-E-L-Y, to 877-933-2484. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. What is glory? What is the glory of God? What does it mean to revel in the glory of God or to live in the presence of a God in the fullness of his glory? Our friend Dave Buring is here from Lion Share. We're talking about the character, the attributes, um, even the names of God. All right, Dave, what is glory? Well, for me, the starting point is I, I like to look at the word in the Hebrew. And the word, it's a, it's a really interesting word. And, and those that would be way smarter than me on this always say it's kind of a hard word to get your arms around because it has several meanings, but it gives us kind of like a diamond, the different aspects as you turn it of the glory of God. So on one hand, uh, the, the word is kavod, and it can mean honor. It can mean majesty. It can mean respect. And it also can mean deference. And then here's the one that always catches me is it means weight. Like when you encounter the glory of God, there's a weightiness to it. And thus we see everybody from Moses to John and Revelation bowing down when they when they encounter the glory of God. And I think it gives us that imagery that you're encountering God's glory. You tend to go low because of who he is, the weight of who he is in our midst. And so when I start thinking about the glory of God, that's my starting point, is it's his majesty, it's God in all of who he is, and because of that, it should, as human beings, hit us with weight. And, you know, being really honest, Carmen, for me in my life, sometimes I ask the question, like, when was the last time that I put myself in a place 
to feel that weight. Mm. And because again, sometimes we can be so, I don't mean surfacy, it's just living life, right? It's busy, it's full, it's sometimes frivolous, sometimes meaningful. But then there's these times that I need to be like brought back, clawed back to that place of the glory of God and start living life based on that there's a bigger picture out there. And I, I need to live with that big picture, not just in mind, but the sense of it on my life. I have heard um, words like magnificence, mm-hmm. worth, and the worth and the weight part um, is is for me the worship part. So those three W's kind of think work to work together in my mind. Um, God is worthy. The the and then what is God worth? Um, so that gets me to a glory conversation, and that is then <laughs> weighty, right? The, yeah. Yeah. The the worth, the weight, um, his loveliness, his grand, the grandeur of his perfection. Yes. Um, yes. And then I think that we we see his glory displayed, but only in like only at the fringes. Like we'd be we'd literally be dead if if like God in all the fullness of his glory, you know, suddenly appeared like. Right. So um, even in Jesus, it's only on the mountain of transfiguration that the disciples see his glory, the radiance of the the son of God. He he is wrapping it and hiding it in human flesh. Um, and then it's revealed. Um, and they find themselves flat on their faces. Like, so I do think that we see glimpses in creation and in Mm -hmm. God's redemptive acts, um, but only glimpses, but people are, are, we're so prone to respond to the glory of God that people are tempted to bow down even to the glimpses of the glory to, you know, to bow down to, uh, the parts and pieces, not to the fullness of the God who is glory himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I just want to remind us that in Exodus 34, when Moses kind of goes big and bold and says, show me your glory, mm. that God doesn't respond with, you know, his amazing knowledge. He doesn't flex the muscles of his might. He doesn't put on kind of the, the full special effects show. Instead, he passes by him and declares his character. Like, I love this. You know, so this is what it says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him. And if you remember, he set him on the cleft of the rock and kind of mm-hmm. put his Did hand it. over him. Yeah, yeah. It's like to cover him. because like you he can't what... handle it. <laughs> no, exactly. Like your eyes are going to be popping out of your head, buddy, if I don't cover you here. And as he walks by, he God says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and it literally means this slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I mean, this is like for me, if someone was to say, like, what who got who is God? Well, let God speak for himself. And he he refers to himself as the Lord, the Lord, like just declares that he is the Lord, but merciful, gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And those three all have unique meanings, but it, it's our stuck places. And I, I just think it is an incredible place because God 
unloads about himself in front of Moses when Moses says, show me your glory. So there's something to be said about why it's important to know the character of God, because as you encounter God's character, you encounter his glory. Dave, um, when can you tell us a story about maybe when you have experienced the glory of God when you, um, yeah, I mean, what comes to mind when I ask that question? Yeah, there, there's a couple of things. There's my own kind of personal times with the Lord, which might look like a headset on with a playlist that, you know, puts me in a place of worship that I just, you know, kind of yield and surrender and just let the Lord feel near. Um, but let me let me share a practical one with you. And it, um, you know this, it's like Cheryl and I, my wife and I spent seven years in Hawaii. We were with a, a missions organization called Youth with a Mission in Kona, Hawaii. When we were young, eight, for me, it was 18 to 25. We, we met there, we got married there. And it's one of my favorite places to enjoy the glory of God when it comes to creation. Um, like in the, in the uh, passage here in Psalm 19, it, it talks about how the sun comes up like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man running its course with joy. When you get up in the morning early, and usually when you fly to Hawaii, your body clocks off. So you're awake early anyway. So you're up at 4 a.m. And so we will go out and watch the sunrise. And it is like watching the strong man running its course with joy. Because first you, you know, it's pitch black. And then you're just seeing a little bit, like if I'm thinking of Oahu and I'm looking at this over Diamond Head. And then you just see just a little bit of light. And the next thing you know, Diamond Head's kind of outline is is glowing, but it still hasn't come up yet. And then you just start seeing the the hints of it coming up until it ascends all the way into its brilliance in the middle of the sky. And it is, it's spectacular, but there's that. But then for me, it's the nighttime because when you're in the middle of the Pacific ocean, it's dark at night. And so when I look at the stars, they just are brilliant and bright and it's my favorite place to observe the stars. They actually have an observatory there on the Big Island of Hawaii for the same reason, because you can just see them. So they're so brilliant. And when I look at that, it reminds me of how little I am, Carmen. Not, I don't mean that negatively. It just means in contrast of look how big and awesome God is. And he's so big and awesome. He repeats this every single day. And I'm reminded of my place and yet he calls me friend. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing place to be. It causes, <clears throat> excuse me, it causes worship. It causes bowing down because of the weight of what I see. So that's one of my, it's one of my favorite kinds of encountering God's glory. So good. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. How are you going to put yourself today in a position to experience the glory of God, to revel in the glory of God, to ask God to show you his glory? Um, will you worship him today? Will you turn to him? Um, you know, as a friend of Jesus, will you turn to the God who is and worship him for all he's worth um, in his manifest presence and the dignity and um, extraordinary revelation of his glory? He invites you to do that. He invites you in. Dave, um, as always, thank you so much, brother. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Have a good day today. You too. You should download the Lion Share Leadership app and 
get Dave's daily devotions. Um, you can learn every single day about a character attribute um, of the living God. Today is President's Day. You might have missed that because it's not a holiday for a lot of people. Um, but thinking about uh, presidents and the presidents, uh, the people who serve us as president, um, here's a little news tidbit for you. On Friday, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, um, and executives from the Trump Organization were uh, ordered to pay $364 million for what uh, a judge deemed fraudulent business practices in New York. Also barred uh Donald Trump from running a business in the state of New York for some three years, ordered uh, independent monitors to oversee the Trump organization, um, did stop short of forcing the business to dissolve. Obviously, um, there's a lot of conversation and controversy related to this. Um, uh, and you and I probably can't imagine what it would be like to have the the kind of judgments that are being um, levied against the former president of the United States. He's already uh, been required by one jury um, to pay more than $100 million in a, um, in a civil suit. Um, and now here, $364 million um, in this case as well. And you say to yourself, who could afford that? Well, in fact, um, uh, Mr. Trump's stake uh, in the company uh, would be worth something like $4 billion in today's share prices. So, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I think he's going to be okay if these, in fact, are penalties he has to pay. But, you know, he's got good lawyers, so we'll see what happens. I think that when we start conversations about topics like this, we need to remain humble. Um, we need to just recognize that um, we, we, we are not people who even know how to stand in judgment. And so when these judgments are levied, um, let's be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry for sure, um, because all of that anger that's being stirred up um, in the conversations of the day, it does not accomplish God's righteousness. That's James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Our friend um, Adam Carrington is going to join us next. We're going to talk a little bit about President's Day. Who's the first president you remember? Who was the president when you were in high school? Do you have a favorite president? Yeah, all of that up next on this President's Day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend uh, Adam Carrington is joining us from Hillsdale College on this President's Day. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. It's happy to be with you on a President's Day. <laughs> it's not a holiday for a lot of people, but it is a holiday for some people. Um, yeah. You yeah, know, my children and not me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exact. Me too. My children and not me. So um, let's just talk a little bit about. Our constitutional system, um, like just because we have a president doesn't mean the same thing when other people use that term around the world. Um, maybe, I don't know, just frame that for us. Like what's unique about the U.S. presidency? Let's do like a civics 101 here. Yeah, I think we don't appreciate, as we often don't as Americans, that what's become normalized for us was extraordinary when it went into place. And in the modern, in the early modern world, you still had monarchies and often in, say, the English system that we came out of, monarchs or kings and queens fighting with 
elected branches like parliaments of legislatures and even going to civil war about it. And as we have more and more accepted the idea that one of the best, if not the best forms of human government is government of, by, and for the people, there was a question, what do you do with um, the executive power, the power to carry out law, the power to actually make sure that laws get followed and obeyed? Because it used to be that's what the kings did. The kings uh, made sure that the laws weren't just paper promises that weren't kept. It made sure that your life, liberty, and pro- and property were actually secured. And um, we came up, our founders came up with the idea of we need to have an executive that isn't a king and is actually elected by the people or chosen by the people, even if indirectly. And who then will carry on this very important task of making sure the laws aren't just written, but actually obeyed. And um, it's, I think, worked as well as any other system. Uh, in fact, uh, it, it, it's, it really has solved it in a way that even our mother country, England, didn't solve it. They really still don't know what to do with their executive power and their monarch. So uh, the fact that we have a popular executive and that that system has accounted for the move in the world more toward Republican or Democratic governments is is pretty extraordinary. And the fact that it's been as successful as it's been in having an effective executive, I think, is a testament to the way we structured that system and the way it's continued to operate. Do you have a... Um... A favorite president? I guess I could I could ask this differently. Yeah, like who's the first president you remember? For me, that's Nixon. Who was president when you were in high school? For me, that's Reagan. Um, and maybe then, do you have like a favorite president? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to remember if I remember Reagan. I was a Reagan baby, just to date myself. Um, <laughs> I certainly remember H. W. Bush. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. uh, the '92 election uh fairly clearly i i remember actually some people might remember this nickelodeon had kids pick the president i don't know if they still do this and i remember being very very like i have to vote for this because my guy has to win and if he doesn't win kids pick the president we're in trouble uh i you know as a kid would would think um i have i have a nephew who i have a nephew who thinks that he is responsible for the person who um, became the Pope, because at his Catholic school, his class was the one that was in the chapel when the white smoke was released. So I get it that kids pick the president is a big deal. Yes, yes. Uh, and let's see. Um, I started when I started high school, Bill Clinton was concluding his last term. Uh, and then George W. Bush was my uh, was president during the rest of high school and then all through my college years. So as far as a favorite president, um, I, I mean, I'll try to go off the beaten path. Obviously, Washington and Lincoln are would probably uh, be my top two. But I'll say that um, Calvin Coolidge is one. And it's not merely uh, he's sort of trendy for some some people because he shrunk the size of government uh, in a way that is unthinkable now and and uh, was a bit hands off in his in some of his execution. But he gave an amazing speech on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, 
that I think is worth reading uh, regularly. Uh, not not you know not, not making everybody read everything all the time, but he declared 150 years after that document had really expressed our founding mind as Americans. He re-expressed them in, I think, a way that um, is 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 a model for how people can appropriate our our founding documents. He said basically, if if all men are created equal, that's final. If all men have inalienable rights from God, that's final. If all men should be able to govern themselves if they're capable of self-government, that's final. And we don't need to grow past that. We don't need to progress historically beyond it. We need to just dedicate ourselves all the time to making that continue to be followed. And I think uh, that's uh, something that's always given me deep respect for him as a president, is that he used his bully pulpit to make that argument to the American people. All right. Who is your favorite president? Um, Maybe who was president Who's the first one you remember? I, I remember Nixon because he resigned, and, and I was um, I was little, um, so I was born in '68. So he resigned in '74, um, and so I was probably five, not six yet. And I remember, um, uh, so I, in kindergarten, um, I'm home from school, but my parents aren't home from work yet. So we are at our neighbors, Letha and Wilbur. I don't know their last name, just Letha and Wilbur. Um, And I remember, like, distinctly them, like, telling my sister and I, like, go upstairs, go upstairs. And they were sitting in the living room watching, you know, they had one of those televisions that sat on the floor and was as big as a giant piece of furniture, right? And you could see it. If you sat on the top step, you could see the television. And and Adam, like, I, I thought we were no longer a country because our president was resigning and Wilbur and Letha were sobbing. And I thought to myself, I don't really have a like a whole lot of understanding of what it means to be a country, but I thought ours was over. And so I do think that um when we as adults talk about the pre- you know, whoever the president is currently, um whoever the president just was or the president we love best or the president we liked the least, I do think we have to remember that we are forming in our children's minds, we are forming in the minds of emerging generations um, what it means to be American and what it yeah. means to um, hold that position as one of um, of, of one of, of great importance, even if the person in the presidency at any particular time is literally only human because they always are only human. And so I want you to comment on this question for just a moment. Um How do we guard against allowing ourselves to imagine that a president, any president, is some kind of messiah? I think that's really good. And also, uh, on the opposite side, to act as if a president who you didn't vote for or don't like is worthy of zero respect. Uh, We kind of have that feast or famine. And I think... So maybe messiah or antichrist. Let's just do them both. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good way. But I, I I think the answer is basically the same, even though some of the applications of it would be different. And I and I think uh, the first thing, which is maybe the lesser but still important, is to separate the office from the man, that the office is what continues. The office is what is ultimately essential to our structure of government. And the men, and I'm sure at some point women, 
who fill it are uh, uh, are it, the thing we underestimate is how much the office forms the the person, and that's because we don't respect institutions enough. That uh, and, and therefore, if we respect our constitutional structure, if we respect our founders that wrote it, then we should have respect for the office, regardless of what we think of the man. But we should also understand that the office exists in a system of separation of powers and federalism. Because it was understood that the men and 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 maybe women eventually that filled it weren't going to be perfect. If men were angels, there'd be no need for government, as Federalist Fifty One says. And uh, I think that uh, the very fact that a president is only part of the system, that he's sharing power, that he has limited terms, is the idea that this person is not God, and this person should not be equated to God even subtly, and that. To keep in mind that in uh, the new heavens and new earth, there will not be separation of powers or checks and balances. Uh, Christ will be king. And the fact that Christ can and should and will be and is entrusted with that power even now is a huge marker that our presidents cannot be made into the in, in into God because even our own constitutional structure recognizes them as mere mortals. So don't despair and and ignore um that we want leaders of wisdom and and um and and ability and morality and character, but also don't expect them to be superhuman because not even our structure assumes that that's what they're going to be. Mm, that's really helpful. Um, all right. Uh, what is the spirit of the age? What does it mean to live as people of spirit, of the spirit of Christ in a culture animated by so many spirits? What's the aloha spirit? Does the aloha spirit have rights? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament— we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Aloha, aloha. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Does the spirit of aloha have constitutional protections? Dr. Adam Carrington is here with us from Hillsdale College. Um, all right. It seems like a very strange question to ask, Adam, but what's going on? 
Yes, there was a Supreme a Hawaiian Supreme Court case, and the particular issue was about the interpretation of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. But the and and what happened was the state court basically said we are going to interpret the Second Amendment differently than the U.S. Supreme Court. We're going to interpret it to not protect an individual right to gun possession uh, and 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 use. Uh, and they invoked, and this is where it's a bigger question, that what it influenced their interpretation was not Supreme Court precedent, not um, the founding, American founding. It was what they called the spirit of Aloha. And, you know, you, one can laugh a little bit at, at, at the fact that a judicial opinion would make that kind of reference. Uh, what they were trying to say was that there is a particular sort of uh, ethos or spirit or kind of movement of history in uh, Hawaii and that they were trying to get in touch with that spirit to help them interpret the Constitution. Um, and so it caused, I think, justifiably a lot of needling and a bit of mocking of taking that route to try to justify their opinion, uh, especially as judges, um, when their number one task is to actually try to figure out what the law says and how to apply it. And uh, I, I think in trying to get in touch with something specific to Hawaii, they've ended up undermining their own credibility in their role as judges by saying this, not Supreme Court precedent, not the original meaning of the text this is what we're going to be focusing on to make our case so um maybe depending how far back you reach in terms of understanding what the spirit of aloha actually means there are those who say it's literally translated that aloha is literally translated breath of god be upon you so it would be like speaking a blessing of God upon another person or a little gazuntite, maybe would be another way of saying it in a different language. Um, it has become more casually like hello, goodbye, welcome, love, kindness, um, generosity, all kinds of these compassion, maybe, you know, words that we would associate with um those things that arrive with the Holy Spirit. I mean, if Christians were going to understand this in this way, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control might be one way. Uh, and so I guess I say all of that to say, could could an argument be raised that this court used a theological term? They used a, a church. I'm going to use that really, really broadly, right? They used a religious term. Um, to make a judgment instead of using the Constitution, um, you you could say that they use they used a term that could be theological, and they would be on strong ground if this was an equivalent to the laws of nature and nature's God, going back again mm, to the Declaration. Uh -huh. But they gave a a definition of it that was completely shorn of any theological or the idea that this is a natural law concept it was more uh again kind of the uh the uh spirit of the of, of the time uh and the spirit of hawaii in in a way that almost sounded a little more new age mystical if it had mm -hmm. any semi-religious connotation so 
I, I appreciate that point because I think we don't want to also reduce law <clears throat> to mere human will that all we're talking about is what we as voters or as <clears throat> even the American founders said, this is going to be our law and it's right because we want it because what majorities want is right. That's uh, that's a ticket to tyranny, even as one ruler is a ticket to tyranny. A majority can tyrannize over a minority. But you then have to ask, what are the real grounds of justice and right? And without getting too either philosophical or theological on it, uh, ultimately, the ultimate source of justice and right and truth is the character and will of God, who God is and what God has said and done in the universe. And if that's the spirit you want to call upon, then that's the ultimate source of all law. But I think these these other things are really uh, more trying to uh, give a kind of mystical account of what turns into uh, what society values and makes idols of itself is how I think this really gets justified. So that that's where I would see a difference. I don't want to reduce all law to will, but you need to ask, is this really uh, grounding itself in, in, in the God that actually made and, and sustains the world? So good. Um, thank you for thinking with us about these things this morning and helping us think as believers about things that are talked about in the world, um, among uh, largely among non-believers. And so it helps us to bear positive public witness. We really appreciate it. That's Dr. Adam Carrington. You can find him at Hillsdale College. We are almost out of time here in the first hour. Um, in the opening of hour two, we are going to um, address the situation in the Twin Cities, um, the death of uh, of three first responders, two police officers, um, and an EMT, one of them uh, a UNW grad. And so if you are coming onto campus today at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, you are going to see the message stone um, painted in blue with a rest in peace upon it. Um, a lot of people, that will be their first indication that our community is grieving today. Um, we're going to talk about grieving and grieving together. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.